Shalom, Shalom. My name is Ariel Ben Lyman Hanavi. I'm delighted to hear that you are drawn to the Jewish root that supports the grafted in branches. You know, Torah is central to properly understand and perform the will of Hashem, that is, God. It is crucial for us to understand theologically that the primary purpose in Hashem's giving of the Torah as a way of making someone forensically righteous only achieves its goal when the person by faith accepts that Yeshua, Jesus, is the promised Messiah spoken about therein. Holy Convocations, Mikra'e Kodesh, which is what the whole word, um, Mikra'e Kodesh refers to Holy Convocations. And uh, I'm the author of the study. All quotations are taken from the complete Jewish Bible by uh, David H. Stern, copyright 1998, all rights reserved, used by permission of Messianic Jewish Publications, Messianic Jewish Publishers. This particular commentary was created on August 29th of 1999. This is the introduction and the overview, part one. Let me read a verse for you out of Luke 24:44, which reads, again, this is CJB, quote, Yeshua said to them, this is what I meant when I was still alive with you and told you that everything written about me in the Torah of Moshe, the prophets, and the Psalms had to be fulfilled. And in my estimation, next to Isaiah 53, which most of us are familiar with, nowhere else is this statement about the, the, the about the Torah and the prophets and the Psalms, you know, everything is written about me. Uh, you know, next to Isaiah 53, nowhere else is the statement of Yeshua is more vividly demonstrated, in my opinion, than in the Holy Convocations of Leviticus chapter 23, which we read in our liturgy. The opening few lines of this particular chapter clearly teach that the biblical feasts, which include Pesach, Passover, to Sukkot, Tabernacles, right? That's the scope, the range. They are, quote, designated times of Adonai, right? End quote. We're going to read about this right here in verse 4 that I'm going to read uh, from that passage here in a moment. They are designated times of the Lord, which means from God the Father's perspective, they are important times on his calendar. And I believe that primarily they are to inform Israel uh, not just about the plans and the purposes of God as he unfolds his messianic redemptive plans to Israel and then through Israel to the rest of the surrounding nations, but contained within this plan of redemption is the work and the ministry of our Messiah, Yeshua. In plain language, if Israel would have intensely uh, focused on understanding the shadow of the festivals and what they were pointing towards and the implications behind them and the teaching tool that was built into the festivals, then they would have better understood their Messiah when he came uh, 2,000 years ago and presented himself as the one sent from the Father to accomplish the will of the Father. That's the point I'm trying to make. Um, so here we've got Leviticus, I'm sorry, yes, Leviticus 23, 1 through 4. 
uh, which read, and I'll just read the Hebrew straight through. I won't stop and read any English. Uh, the English shows up below this. But the Hebrew says, Vayidabra Adonai el Moshe lemor, Dabra el Bnei Yisrael, Vaamarta alehem, Moadei Adonai asher tikru'u otam mikro'e kodesh, Elehem moadai. Sheshet yamim te'ase melacha uviyom hashvi'i Shabbat, Shabbaton mikra kodesh ko melacha lo ta'asu, Shabbat hi la Adonai, Bokol, Moshvotechem, Ele Moade Adonai Mikre Kodesh Asher Tikru Otam B Moadam. The English says, Adonai said to Moshe, Tell the people of Israel the designated times of Adonai which you are to proclaim as holy convocations are my designated times. Work is to be done on six days, but the seventh day is a Shabbat of complete rest, a holy convocation. You are not to do any kind of work. It is a Shabbat for Adonai, even in your homes. These are the designated times of Adonai, the holy convocations you are to proclaim in their designated times. Historically, the nation of Israel was to act as a repository of the wisdom and word of Hashem, with his called-out ones acting as what I call a fishbowl, where everyone can see you from all sides like the fishbowl. The surrounding nations were to learn about the Creator, the one true God of the universe. How? From the everyday activities of the offspring of Abraham. Right? You can go back and read uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4, and you'll see that that's, this is kind of the phenomenon I'm describing. This is one of the primary reasons, in my opinion, that the Torah was graciously given to Israel that she would be this modeled nation for the surrounding nations to observe and then to question and to ask and to become curious about this one God that they speak of and about this Torah that they follow. In both biblical and modern Hebrew, the word for appointment is moed, right? We can see um, in my... Um, Commentary. I've got uh, footnote number one points to the TWOT for that word moed, and footnote number two points to a website at uh, morphix.co.il, which is a um, Israeli website. It's, it's all in Hebrew, and we can look up this word moed. It's translated as designated times in trans in uh, David Stern's translation above. This word moed, right, from which we get the word moedim in the plural. Interestingly, I say the root of the related word mikra, which is translated as convocations by Stern, the root of this word mikra is kara, and this root word contains the sense of rehearsals, rehearsals, so look at footnote number three, you can see that I pulled that information from Bible Hub's uh, Strong's Exhaustive Concordance on the word kara. So, we've got these important Hebrew words that are uh signaling this uh, uh, interesting imagery for us, right? Designated times, uh, called out times, convocations, the sense of rehearsals. And I like to think that in this way, with, with, with Moshe using these words, uh, in this way, Hashem masterfully designed the Mikra'e Kodesh, the Holy Convocations, to act as sort of dress rehearsals, right? Remember the Hebrew word kara. The actors dress rehearsals for us children. Now, naturally, you should be asking yourself, of what? What are they dress rehearsals of? Here's what I have to say. The feasts of Adonai are dress rehearsals of messianic redemption, right? Recall that when you're um, uh, getting prepared for a play, 
or or something like that, um, that you go through a series of dress rehearsals over and over again so that you can learn your lines, learn your cues, learn your parts, and so that you can also become familiar with the cues of the other um, performers in the play. You guys all need to work together so that when the time comes for the live performance that you have rehearsed, that you've memorized your lines and that you know how to act and know what to do. You know what to expect. You've got an expectation uh, built into your memory based on your the fact that you've rehearsed this thing over and over again uh, so that you can have a good performance. Well, the same concept can be said about the festivals. God gave Israel these festivals 1,500 years prior to Yeshua coming on the scene, right? The entire kind of history of Israel is about 3,500 years long. And yet, for the first 1,500 years or so, God gave Israel a chance to do their dress rehearsals, to go through the rehearsals, to practice over and over again this messianic redemption, to practice year after year uh, through the festivals and walk into them and to learn about um, what they signify and the meanings and the themes and, and to prepare their hearts and their minds so that in, in, when the, at the time set by the Father, God would send His Son into the world to walk into the actual performance of the play, right? Yeshua wasn't just rehearsing. He was the performance. He was the focal point of the rehearsal. You understand what I'm saying? He was the real deal. He was the real play. The drama was unfolding right before their eyes. And Israel, who should have been prepared by the practice, should not have been taken by surprise, is the point I'm trying to make. Our Lord Yeshua has literally and prophetically fulfilled the first four of the seven feasts mentioned in Leviticus 23. And uh, this is no secret to anyone who has studied the festivals, right? The first four, Passover, Unleavened Bread, uh, First Fruits, and then uh, Pentecost either Yeshua or the Yeshua sending his spirit, the Holy Spirit, uh, at Pentecost. They've all been fulfilled on the same calendar date that was ordained by Hashem way back in Leviticus 23. So it was no um, guesswork, right? The, the Israel shouldn't have had to say, hmm, I wonder when the fulfillment of this festival is going to happen. It happened right according to the same um, timing on the feast or very close proximity, maybe a day before or a day after or, or a few hours before or a few hours after, right? Is the point I'm trying to make. So it's my belief that the Torah teaches that Yeshua will likewise literally and prophetically fulfill the final three, right? Uh, Yom Tuah, which uh, on your calendar is called Rosh Hashanah. Uh, and then the second of the th- last three is Yom Kippur, which we just went through earlier this week. And then the last one is Sukkot, the Festival of Tabernacles. So those are the last three. Uh, Simchat Torah, or Rejoicing the Torah is, or the, or, or, um, 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 uh, what's the final one they, they called, um, Shemini Atzeret, the, the eighth day of assembly is by some, uh, the eighth day of the assembly of, um, Sukkot. So there, but there's the three final ones. And it's, in my opinion, it's, there's a very strong case that can be made that Yeshua will literally and prophetically fulfill the final three at a soon to be second arrival. I can't be dogmatic. I'm not trying to predict uh, and say, you know, thus saith the Lord, thus saith Ariel, that this is what's going to happen. But there seems to be strong uh, support uh, from the fact that the first four were fulfilled very, very closely around the times 
when the festivals took place as well. So we can we can make some assumptions there, uh, some safe assumptions. As the children of Abraham willingly and faithfully lived out Hashem's yearly cycle of Moedim, right? The Spirit of the Holy One graciously did what? He opened their hearts to understand that his treasured possession, they were responsible to actively pursue a genuine personal loving relationship with their heavenly Abba. It was their responsibility. As God's Spirit revealed these truths to them, then they had the opportunity and the responsibility to press in and get to know God and begin to form a relationship with God uh, through the Holy Spirit and eventually through uh, the Messiah. So they were responsible to actively pursue this loving relationship. And it's this type of personal relationship that Hashem has always desired from the nation of Israel. He didn't just give them the Torah for, for novelty's sake or to give them some, some heritage religions that they could call their own, some, some, um, some nifty set of rules that were to make them look odd and quirky from all the surrounding people groups, right? The Torah was, had a goal and it was, and it's, and the goal was the Messiah. And, um, uh, it was through the grace poured out to Israel, right? This relationship, uh, that God was, uh, uh um, giving to Israel, uh, that the surrounding nations might be drawn, right? They would see the goodness and the mercy of Adonai and seek to become one of his treasured possessions as well, right? It wasn't something that was exclusive for Israel. God was using Israel as his servants. They were chosen, yes, but chosen for a reason, chosen to showcase and to highlight the goodness and the mercy of God to the surrounding nations. And in this showcasing, in this displaying of God's goodness, this would draw the people into a relationship with God, into the family of God, not replacing the family of God, not overtaking the family of God, not overturning the family of God, not kicking out the original family members of God or anything like that. Rather, the Gentile nations will be grafted in, right? We can fast forward all, all the way to Romans chapter 11 and Paul's all of true theology. We know that God was going to graft the surrounding nations into the existing family group of God. So read Deuteronomy uh, chapter 4 verses 5 through 8. So as we, with, with that in mind, as we look at our responsibilities today, I believe that our covenant responsibilities to our holy God haven't changed any more than the covenants made with his treasured people have changed. And what is that? He is our God, and we are his people. We still have a responsibility to live as holy people so that the surrounding people, the people in our, in our immediate, immediate circles of influence, right, are, are either our friends or family member or coworkers or, or people that God has allowed to come within a circle of influence uh, around us, they can be drawn into this relationship they have with that we have with God. Sometimes it's it's not easy to witness to people with your words, right? There's not always an opportunity to share the gospel with them in word, but we do have the opportunity to share the gospel with them with our actions, with our lifestyle, with our with our forgiveness by extending the mercy of God to people, by extending forgiveness, and by demonstrating uh, a holy lifestyle, a set apart life, uh, by demonstrating that that we that we walk a different set of of rules and ethics and morals than the world around us, which is corrupted. Right? Understand what I'm saying there? So, in this final paragraph, as I'm drawing part one to a close for this Mikra Kodesh studies, history has demonstrated that in the fullness of Hashem's timetable that God the Father sent His only begotten Son, Yeshua, into the world to redeem fallen man, 
and to make it possible to have a right relationship with our heavenly Abba. This messianic redemption of ours, which was accomplished through the sacrificial death, burial, and miraculous resurrection of Yeshua our Savior, has been prophetically and historically displayed through the teachings of the Holy Convocations of Leviticus 23. It is so vitally important that we understand that aspect, and for that reason alone, it is worthwhile for us as Christians, whether you're Gentile or Jewish, doesn't matter. It is worthy of our study to go back and to to, to uh, familiarize ourselves with the festivals of Leviticus 23, and to begin to purposefully look for the Messiah within them. Study the festivals, right? It is therefore Hashem's desire that these teachings in Leviticus 23 become an integral part of our everyday lives as we walk out the truths of our new identification in Messiah. Understand what I mean? To be sure, and I'm closing with this statement, the Torah has demonstrated, listen up, quote, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the Tanakh. That's Luke 24, 45, speaking of Yeshua. He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And that's our prayer today, people. That is our prayer, that he would continue to open our minds and our hearts so that as we work and pour through and study the scriptures, that we would see him that he is in there, that they speak of him, and that we can learn more of him as we study the scriptures and as we begin to implement them into our lives and walk them out. Omain? Omain. This is part one of our Holy Convocation study, and stay tuned for part two next week, and we'll pick up our study right here in the middle with Introduction and Overview, part two. Okay? Let's close in prayer.